often described as the British Roswell, Rendlesham Forest in Suffolk, England was the site of a very high-profile UFO encounter back in December 1980. But was it a genuine event or just a hoax? Join myself and Neil as we unpick this 40-year-old mystery. Aliens Explored is a weekly podcast exploring famous and obscure cases of UFO sightings, alien abductions and other strange events from both a believing and a sceptical perspective whilst keeping an open mind. I'm Stu Jackson, a professional actor and amateur ufologist with a particular interest in the crop circle phenomenon. I'll be debating that otherworldly visitations are real. The truth is out there. And I'm Neil Kelly. I'm a professional actor as well and used to work for the military as an intelligence analyst. I'll be arguing from a more doubtful point of view. I mean, it's all a bit far-fetched, isn't it? Hello, listeners. Welcome back to Aliens Explored, your your weekly UFO podcast, um, where we look into all sorts of... UFO sightings from around the world and throughout our known history. Um, I'm one of your hosts, Neil Kelly. And I'm Stu Jackson, your other host. Hello, sir. Hello, so yeah, what have we got this week? So this week, uh, Rendlesham Forest, which is quite a famous UFO incident. Well, uh, it's famous in in England, is it? Or I suppose famous amongst people with... (laughs) Yeah, sorry. (laughs) It is famous, isn't it? Anyone who has an interest in UFOs, it should... It should be familiar. Yes. Well, um, I would like to think that this is fairly famous uh, elsewhere in the world, particularly in the States, because um, certainly a United States Air Force base was heavily involved, even though it happened in the UK. Um, it is nearly 40 years. And now it's interesting. We're, we're getting really close to Christmas now. We're just one week away from Christmas and we're all excited um, and, and it's quite appropriate that we should do this one around this time because this is a Christmas story it, it's the, yeah, it the is greatest Christmas, Christmas story. story since Die Hard um, <laughs> so as a military man um, I mean first of all you, were you familiar with Rendlesham Forest and and the air bases around there. We and had you heard this story? Um, well, I'd certainly I'd heard something about it. I was, I mean, this we're talking about December nineteen eighty, so almost exactly forty years ago. Um, I was in the army in Germany at the time, West the, the former Republic of West Germany, um, and I think we heard something about it. I, I seem to vaguely remember. But my wife is from Suffolk and what I know from my wife and also what I know from my my interest in these things is that since the Second World War, Suffolk has been um, a centre for US air bases. Mm -hmm. Um, It's where all their their bomber command is. It's where um, the the attacks against Libya were launched in 1986. All their big bombers 
uh, well, not all their big bombers, obviously they have bases all over, but uh, in the UK, it's Suffolk, you know, and it's, Suffolk is um, a large flat area, it's, it's a lot like the Netherlands, um, clear blue skies, you know, <laughs> good lines of sight, free fire zones, so it's, it's the perfect location for bases and also for in the second world war bombing germany well it's right on the english east coast it's a it's a direct line east to, to berlin mm. so yeah um but what i also know is that uh british squaddies were involved british service personnel and they love nothing more than a prank they love nothing more than to bullshit <laughs> and as i started reading this i thought is this just is this just squaddy bullshit that I'm hearing? Well, it's interesting you say that there is a um, a theory, this idea that actually this was a revenge plot uh, on the US Air Force set up by the SAS. Uh, that's the Special Air Service uh, for our American listeners. Um, a, a sort of elite British... Uh, squad uh, according to this this particular theory um, in August 1980 the SS parachuted into RAF Woodbridge to test their security systems the United States Air Force detected and captured the SAS troops uh, who were subsequently interrogated, beaten up um, and very embarrassed and embarrassed they're them. supposed to be the um, best of the best. You know, they're still still glowing from their their Iranian hostage siege glory. That's when they first became generally known to the public, and then suddenly in, they're being beaten up by by <laughs> USAF personnel. Indeed. So uh, the Telegraph, um, which is a, a famous British newspaper, um, reported this famously right wing newspaper. If that's relevant to you. Um, uh, and and they claimed that um, as December was approaching, they rigged up lights, coloured flares, um, all this kind of thing in in the woods, in the forest around. They used black helium balloons uh, coupled to remote control kites, uh, all activated by radio control, by remote control, um, in order to set up this very elaborate hoax. But so let's look at the possible. I mean, first of all, if that's true, what an absolute waste of of public money. Well, there's that. I mean, I mean, just to get revenge because they've been a bit embarrassed. I mean, come on. Oh um, no, that, that, that's no. appalling. <laughs> when, when, when you're um, talking about military pride, yeah, they're, they're, no, no, there's no, there's no, you know, whole regiments will be sacrificed. For for pride in a futile frontal assault for for the sake of glory or pride, um, let me tell you about a prank that happened when I was in Germany around that time, um, and it was quite near where we used to go on exercise. There had been a Nazi concentration camp there, and there was a a wood. Um, it's near. It was near a, a German barracks called I think it was near Vogelsang, or I might be getting a bit confused between two different places we went to but it was it was a place where there had been a concentration camp and there was a monument there and people who went there remarked how spooky it was you'd go there and you wouldn't hear the birds singing it was this deathly quiet and 
Germans were often quite spooked by it. What a bunch of squaddies decided to do was they went to a, a costume shop or a joke shop and they bought these old-fashioned prison uniforms you know, with, the, with the horizontal hoop stripes on them. Yeah, the tunic, trousers, cap. And uh, they went and stood, this was at night, on a bend in the road, on, in the main road, um, where n near the monument, so that as cars came, I think it was over the brow of a hill and sort of round the bend, their headlights would just briefly catch this group in concentration camp uniforms, just standing there huddled, looking like ghosts. Um, and freaked them out, you know. That, and there was a there was a, a huge outcry over it. Oh, I bet. I mean, that's yeah. That's they're, having, they're having a joke on the Germans about their Nazi, about their brutal past, and yeah, it, it was extremely insensitive. And it's, it, but squaddies will do that. Squaddies will do that for fun. And that's and, uh, yeah, um, not my idea of fun. I'll be honest. But then. I think we've said in previous shows, you know, I would never have made it in the army at all. But also, um, um, where, where the British army, or British forces, are very different from American forces, is they have much tighter control over weapons and pyrotechnics and ammunition. Um, the, the weapons are stored in the armoury, which is like a, a bank vault. The ammunition is stored in the magazine, <laughs> which will probably be on the other side of camp which is also like a bank vault. There's all sorts of paperwork involved in bringing these together. And there'd be questions asked if you hadn't booked a range and booked transport to take troops to the range and booked troops to go, you know, if you've done the, the whole thing, we're going off shooting. Um, troops do not routinely have access to weapons or, or arms. They, they probably do a bit more these days, but even so, it's still very, very strictly controlled compared yes. to on an American base where any soldier might happen to be in a bar with a gun in his pocket. You would never find that. So um, I can imagine, you know, SAS would probably have more ready access to the kinds of things necessary, the pyrotechnics or whatever, to make these, these things happen. Um, but even so, I, I can imagine a lot of what they did was out of their own pockets. Well, there's... There's that. I mean, if you're talking about sort of remote controlled, I mean, what what we would now call drones, um, is what we're talking about. So, if if that were the case, it would have had to have had, from what you've said, some pretty senior, um, either knowledge or uh, approval. Well, both really, knowledge and approval uh, of some description. But add to that. So, so the Rendlesham Forest. You're actually talking about two separate incidents. Um, two the days first apart. One, yeah, that's it. So the first one is is basically the very early hours of the 26th of December, um, and, and the later one on the 28th. Uh, but this, so this first one, um, you've got these these two officers, uh, Burroughs and, and Penniston. Um. And Penniston re reported getting relatively close to this this vehicle, this craft, uh, and from what he described, that's nothing like what we're talking about with these, uh, with what the Telegraph reported. You know, balloons and you know he he, he talked about it being um, an almost glass-like um, sort of onyx 
glass-like black. And, and if they used any kind of standard pyrotechnics, or if they used parachute flares or anything like that, a squaddy would know what that was straight away. Yes, of course. Um, add, add to that as well the high levels of radiation uh, within the area. Uh, I mean, yes, I, I know some armed forces would have access to radioactive material, um, but for it to be registering that high, uh, I mean, you're talking about... Um, uh, was it 0.03 to 0.04 um, uh, milli... What is it? Milliroentgens? I, I don't know, but I, um, I was going to... Um, yeah. Milliroentgens. Yeah, that that. Milliroentgens. Rentgens, isn't it? Rentgens. Okay. That's background level, but it was uh, much higher. I can't imagine... Sorry, just picking you up on something. I can't imagine... British service personnel having access to anything radioactive. Indeed. Um, so that that kind of puts a bit of a hole in this this SES this prank story. Um, um, well, I can the, imagine. The them, bit, I can imagine them faking a reading on a on a. Well, they they wouldn't have the equipment. Um, it, it says the so on the twenty eighth of December, this Le, Lieutenant Colonel Charles. Holt, yes. Um, so this is—is is he USAF? Or yes, yeah, yeah, he is. Because um, Colonel is, is, is your rank in the in the in the Royal uh, Air Force. I can tell you, he he did measure this using an AN PDR twenty seven, which is standard U.S. military radiation survey meter. Right. And you, why would he have that? Unless, well, I, I suppose if. Those bases potentially have nuclear weapons stored, so they would need to check that radiation isn't leaking out on a, on a fairly regular basis. So can I just put a note in for our American listeners? Um, in it's, it's a British affectation, a British military affectation, that the word lieutenant, or lieutenant, or as you say, lieutenant, um, is pronounced lieutenant. It's pure affectation. We know that... Um, Lieutenant, what it means is it's someone acting in lieu of someone else. It's a it's a it's a, sub, a subaltern, a junior officer acting with the authority of a higher command. He's in lieu of the colonel or the general or whatever. Um, but in the British forces, it's very firmly lieutenant. I mean, the reason they hate it is they say, "Well, saying lieutenant sounds American," but back in of course back in the nineteenth century, they say, "Well, it, it, it sounds French," so we're going to say lieutenant rather than lieutenant. Because Liu is a French word, isn't it? It means it's the French it word is. for place. I, I did not know French that. French word for place. I, I... So they, but you would not believe how upset um, a British subaltern would get to be addressed at, to, as as lieutenant, unless it was unless it was an American. Um, he might politely correct him, but if if a British soldier said lieutenant, they would they, they would lose their totally lose their shit. You would not believe how. <laughs> How, how how angry they get over it! Oh bless these these military snowflakes, eh? Um. Absolutely, and of course, um, military RAF police are referred to as snowflakes because they wear really? white, okay. they wear white caps. Yeah, referred to as snowflakes. Oh, I did not know that either. Um, I mean, I pride myself on my um, etymology, but yeah, um, no, I didn't know any of that. Uh, so yeah, uh, so lieutenant basically means deputy. 
yeah, it's a deputy. It's um, I mean, even the mafia they they talk about <laughs> their lieutenants, don't they? They're basically, my henchmen. And um, yeah, my deputies, the lieutenant, um, and and the history of ranks. Why, for instance, um, uh, a lieutenant a lieutenant colonel is lower than a colonel, or, or certainly with generals, because um, the lowest kind of general in the British Army is a major general, and then you, ha- no, sorry, it's a. Uh, the lowest form is. Yes, it's a major general, and then a lieutenant general, and then a general. Um, and and the history of that is it goes and then, and then, then a, a, a four star general and then a, so a, a one star you got a one star general a brigadier two star is major general two three star is is lieutenant general four star is full general um, but what those ranks originally were major the reason why major is lower than lieutenant in in those cases um, it was originally sergeant major general. And then Lieutenant General, and then Captain General, but they just dropped the Captain bit. Right, Back okay. in the days uh, of the English Civil War, back in the 17th century. <laughs> we, we've digressed off topic just a little bit, but, but just one. <laughs> Quite it, a lot. it does make me wonder. I mean, the, the Lieutenant being from French, I understand. I wonder if Major then comes from uh, uh, Major in French, uh, as in Force Major. Oh, I think it's, yeah. Yeah, makes me wonder. Anyway, we're 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 digressing like crazy. And, and so, just we... one one final note, which I think I should say um, for those of a non-military bent, um, a, a lieutenant colonel or a lieutenant colonel is normally the rank that would command an infantry regiment or a an infantry battalion or a, a, a tank regiment or you know, six hundred or six hundred to a thousand men. So that's so quite a quite a high rank. He's he's the deputy okay. base commander, so he would have, you know, there would have been a colonel overall over on the base. So so very very senior, a senior um, officer, yes, yeah. uh, Lieutenant Colonel Holt. Um, so uh, one more thing, just to put a nail in the coffin of this this SAS prank thing. Um, oh, for me, it it puts um, a bit of a nail. Uh, Burroughs and Peniston. Um, the main witnesses from the first event ended up with quite severe post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of this encounter. Now, as you as you rightly said, um, squaddies, people who work in the military, would recognise military things. You know, they're, they're prepared for an awful lot. This must have been a really bizarre experience to have had that level of effect on them i think yeah and i'm not sure what kind of support there would have been i mean i I suppose the the u.s military with their at that time fairly recent experiences of vietnam would be used to having lots of soldiers with ptsd um british forces weren't they wouldn't have had much well, no, um, and well, there's bugger all now from my perspective. But you know, um, that's me. I'm I'm biased because I have PTSD myself. <laughs> so I'm biased yeah. about these things. Okay, um, um, but uh, yeah, I can't imagine there was much in those days. You know, no, soldiers no, just no. went off quietly to become alcoholics. 
especially in 1980, which is, you know, Machismo being what it was, what it is now, you know, it's bad enough. Um, okay, so, yeah, so that's one theory that, yes, it was a bit of a prank. Um, I'm inclined to think we've blown that pretty much out of the water. Um what else? I mean, you've got all sorts of different theories as to what it might have been. Uh, there's the idea that it was the light from a nearby lighthouse. Well, yeah, because we're, we're talking about these two events, 26th and 28th of December 1980. Mm-hmm. But there have been lots of sightings in that area of strange lights in the sky. Um, yes. Which, as I say, some, some said it was it was due to some kind of light refraction. It was the light from the... The, the lighthouse that wasn't that far away. Um, it yeah, was the effect yeah. of lights through the trees. Headlight, you, know, you can get odd effects. Um, so the, the lights have been attributed by astronomers to a piece of natural debris seen burning up as a fireball over southern England at the time, a shooting star. Um, <sighs> servicemen initially thought it was a downed aircraft because that's what they're programmed to, to see any kind of light coming down as that's that's always going to be their first thought because that's that's their job okay um so there's there's been some other things uh i mean as recently as 2015 um this this quite intrigued me um now by this time uh lieutenant uh, sorry lieutenant colonel holt uh was 75 bless him um he at this point obtained written statements from radio radar oh god my words from radar speaking in tongues it's a miracle (laughs) (laughs) it's it's a good job talking isn't my job isn't it oh wait um yeah so (laughs) i'll try that one again so uh lieutenant colonel holt uh, obtained written statements from radar operators at RAF Bentwaters and Wattisham Airfield, which was quite nearby, that an unknown object was tracked at the time of the incident. Now, these radar operators themselves did not want to come forward until after they'd retired from their military roles, which is why they hadn't come forward previously. Um but the these radar operators said that they saw the object go across their 60 mile scope in 2 or 3 seconds that that's thousands of miles an hour um it came back across their scope again stopped near a water tower and they watched it and saw it go into the forest which is where colonel holt was at the time Now, the Ministry of Defence stated that the event posed no threat to national security um, because they just made a decision, we can't be asked to investigate this. It was was never investigated as a security matter. Um, Someone obviously down the line said, well, well, is it a threat? Isn't it a threat? Could it be? Ah, no, let's, let's not waste any time on this. We've had this debate before, though, about the military and the official bodies saying this sort of thing even if it was a threat if it's if it's a threat they can do nothing about they're going to claim it's not a threat because otherwise it's going to send out panic 
if they came up and said yeah this is happening we've got no control over it we can't protect you we're screwed um you know they're not going to say that better that they say ah yeah it's nothing to worry about don't worry you know uh it was just lights reflecting from venus um <laughs> i mean, I mean even um, i mean britain is a very a very secretive state um the british government is and always has been very very secretive for instance in those days in 1980 um nobody would have heard of gchq our main mm. signals intelligence base in in the uk it only really came into the public forum when margaret thatcher decided that um union membership was incompatible with working there and suddenly it was all over the newspapers but you know, we've been told you're not allowed to say the say say the initials GCHQ outside of a secure environment. Um, very very secretive. So yeah, they 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 would just routinely cover things up, slap notices on things. We don't really know what this is. Okay, well we'll just we'll just make it secret. Yeah, you know, I, I worked with a guy who had a you know he had his PC and he had his printer on in in the office. And anything that he printed automatically had top secret printed top and bottom of the paper, just <laughs> as routine. Um, and I, I remember we had to, to, he had to print something off and we had to sit there with scissors cutting them off because he couldn't alter the printer settings. It was just, <laughs> the default was anything that comes out of my printer is automatically top secret. That's, that's, you know, there's no evaluation done. It's... Doesn't that make it kind of meaningless? Um, no, it, because of all the admin that goes around um, classified documents, it makes it an awful lot of hard work. Well, I'm just thinking about the boy that cried wolf. If you mark everything top secret, then it becomes, including the non-top secret stuff, you you you, you get blind to it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure it's happened, and I can't think what the incident is, where something that was really really didn't deserve any kind of security classification was given a very high classification but because it wasn't that secret or that important it came out and uh, and as it came out a lot of real secrets came out along with it mm. so <laughs> you know, it, it's yeah it, it is as you say it's counterproductive to to over classify things but that's you know it's if you're a security officer, it's it's always just easier to slap a security classification on something than not, isn't it? It's easier to say no to anything. As anyone who's who's been to, who's been to their security officer in their IT department, he will he just says no to everything because that's that's always the safest thing to say. <laughs> so yeah, I can imagine if if there was anything unexplainable or that was potentially a threat, or yeah, it would just be it'd just be secret in this country. Indeed. Um, now, coming back on to Rendosh and Farah, I mean, you, you rightly identified earlier, this is an area that has its history of UFO sightings and, and quite a strong history at that. Um, and indeed, so ben, uh, RAF Bentwaters, which is the nearby RAF base, um, there's an interesting story, I don't know if you came across this in your research, uh, about it having basically futuristic technology um rf bentwaters and and you'll hopefully corroborate this um 
because it's a privately owned land, what they do is they often rent out some of their buildings to local companies. Um, I think that's fairly normal procedure uh, for, for some bases. And uh, there was what, again, this wasn't too long ago. Um, one company wanted to. to they, they, they rented a building to operate their place of business. They wanted to improve their internet. Um, this guy was a telecoms engineer. So they dug down to the cables. They found cables from 1980 or, or from around then. But they were far more in advance in terms of their internet capability than what we have now. <laughs> But from 1980. I mean, apparently it dug down, came across these cables, came back up again, absolutely white as a sheet because he just couldn't, couldn't believe, believe he what he'd white. seen. He'd, yeah. he'd encountered a superior technology or, or one that he could recognise as on a par with what we have now. But Well, not, not on a par, in advance of what we have now. Which is quite an interesting. Uh, but there, I mean, there's, that... there, there's also the aspect that the military do have bottomless pockets. They 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 can spend vast amounts of money on things, so they they can have far superior technology to anything we can have. Things that would just make no economic sense. You know, they 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 you're spending thousands of pounds a day on an internet connection but yes it's it's a super duper one um because they can because they they can have this stuff that we would never have because it just the the cost will be too high but if it's in advance of what is available today and it dates back to 1980 it's it's not a matter of how much money you spend on it it's a matter of is it physically possible yeah, but it's you know, remember this was at the height of the Cold War, so the, uh, you know, British, American, NATO were terrified that that uh, somehow the Russians, the communists, would technologically leapfrog them. They would spend unlimited amounts of money on uh, on on developing, and they didn't care how much it cost. Have Have you ever read or seen the movie The Men Who Stare at Goats? Yes, uh, I haven't read it. I saw the movie though. Yes. Okay. Well, where the where the book starts from is that um, certain people in uh, I think in the CIA they looked at people who claimed to be mediums who claimed that they could they could do automatic writing they could they could see into rooms thousands mm. of miles away they could tell what's they could mind read that sort of thing and um, they thought well yeah it's probably bollocks it's probably a party trick some of they've learned but. But what if it's true? What what mm. if they really can? And if they really can, what what if the Russians are harnessing this this um, this occult technology, this occult capability, and and we're not? So they they just, as soon as that idea came to their heads, they think, well, now we've got to spend millions and millions of dollars <laughs> in exploring it, just in case, just to be sure that it it's not a real thing. Indeed. And who knows, um, it may well be. And that could be something we might cover in a future episode. You may well be, know. but yeah, I just think, I think at that time, 1980, there was no limit on military spending because of the fear that 
the Soviets might get a technological advantage, okay. even though. I mean that that that's fair enough. Um, I just I thought I'd mention it because um, you know, like with Area Fifty One and um, places like that, uh, you do have these these alleged technologically far superior to what we have places and a lot of UFO activity sort of converging. So I, ju- I just thought that was an interesting parallel. Um, but do you know what? It's, it's come time for us to um, to summarise our thoughts on Rendlesham. Uh, so, Neil, what, what do you think, having, having done your research this week and dug down... I'm undecided. It's it's an area of Britain where there are lots and lots of air bases, British and American. Um, there could be all sorts of exotic craft flying around. Um, there could be all sorts of missions being launched from there that governments don't want to publicly acknowledge. And there could just be natural phenomena. There's or, or things like that. Yeah. You know, that would cause, for instance, a lighthouse, the light from a lighthouse to be to appear somewhere else. So this only happened you know, on this this incident we're talking about happened 40 years ago, or exactly two, you know, just around Christmas time. It, the Christmas it's like the Christmas star, isn't it? That, that came down to earth <laughs> in the forest just slightly late. It came down on the 26th yeah. of December. Um, but uh, yeah, so. Again, I don't know. Maybe it was something otherworldly, but I, I just do think that some of the worldly explanations are some of the accounts are a bit a bit inconsistent as they would be after forty years. I think, or or, or incomplete. It's it's just hard to know. But I can't rule out that yeah, there was there was uh, something from out there. Well, I, you'll be completely unsurprised to hear, remain absolutely convinced that this was another worldly visitation. Um, you've got people with a lot of bravado, a lot of machismo, um, reporting on this, claiming to have seen things. People who will basically be ridiculed for what they see. Coming out of it with PTSD, you've got uh, descriptions of very unusually craft landing in front of them you get very detailed physical descriptions you've got the radiation this all adds up to me um to be an absolute uh definitely got to be another worldly encounter and a bit of a cover-up or an attempted cover-up uh by the government thereafter but what do you think listeners um rendlesham forest is a very famous case. Had you heard of it before? Uh, if so, what do you think? Or what do you think having heard of it if you hadn't heard of it before? Um, I know at Rendlesham Forest, they do a UFO trail. So perhaps uh, when this pandemic is all over and we've got our vaccines, uh, which is hopefully coming soon, Neil, maybe we could do a, a, a stream from the Rendlesham Forest UFO walk. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? That would be. That would be great, yeah. I think um, we're going to be touring the country as soon as we're now yeah. down again. All well, the I, things I, I had a had a do. had a COVID test today. Did you? My, my first one, yeah, because my, my my daughter is a 
as, as emergency ambulance crew and mm. she had to take a test. So I said, oh, can I have one? So it's horrible. It's you have to stick a like a, a Q-tip right up your nose, right into your nasal canal yeah. and twiddle it around. It tickles. Well, it's not horrible. It tickles a bit. Um, Did you pass the test? I passed the test, yeah. <laughs> With flying colours. Uh, fantastic. So don't forget to join us next. Now, next week, of course, is Christmas Day. And so don't forget to join us for a very very special Christmas episode uh, we're discussing something really interesting Neil uh, yes what? <laughs> what's that we will be debating whether or not Jesus Christ himself was an extraterrestrial that's a hot topic you can't get much more Christmassy than that <laughs> you can't <laughs> But in the Wonderful. meantime, I look um, forward to it. Very happy holidays to all our listeners, uh, near and far, from yes, us. Um, get your shopping in, stay safe, and uh, enjoy a very happy Christmas. And uh, as as I've been in my other job as a father, Christmas, I've been told to remind people: remember, it's not it's not what's under the tree that counts; it's what's around the tree. You won't remember. Five years from now, you won't remember what presents you got, but you will remember who was there and who, who made you feel. Okay, so keep watching those military bases and the skies. Take care. Bye-bye. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Aliens Explored is a Fecal Films production in association with Juicy Falls. Music by Darren Mafucci and editing by Stu Jackson. Find us on Twitter or Facebook by searching Aliens Explored or visit us on aliensexplored.com.